Amen. I love that hymn, don't you? Born out of great tragedy and trial, wasn't it? Who's the author? Spafford. Yeah, it's good. All right, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, if you would, Hebrews chapter 13. And while you're turning there, I'm going to have a couple of men come. They've got a very, very simple handout that we're going to utilize just for a, a quick exercise. Hebrews chapter 13 in your Bibles. And uh, so pass those down. Take out a writing instrument, if you would. It's going to look like a quiz. I don't want you to think that uh, it is a quiz, though it looks like a quiz. I don't want you to think you're going to be graded on it, even though you are. <laughs> don't get all nervous on me. Question number one. I'm just kidding. No, you don't need to put your name on it. Just It's for your benefit. Um, trust you have a writing instrument, something there. We'll utilize that in just a moment. I want to bring something to you today that... Um, once again, is personal to me. The Lord really used it in my life years ago. And, uh, and it's also something, obviously, then, that I use from time to time in counseling. And uh, yet most of you, I don't think I use it often, so most of you are not going to be uh, firsthand aware of this. Um, but if you hear one of the men say, oh, I know this, then you're going to know he's been in there and it's a giveaway, so guys, you might want to just hold your comments till later. Um, anyway, okay, Hebrews chapter 13, and uh, let's look at, we're just really going to look at one verse, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that, that is unprofitable for you. This is a key verse. Like, I can't tell you how key this is. Like, if you're already just thinking, okay, this is another verse about obeying and authority or whatever, then you don't get it. This verse will free you. This verse will give you power. It could, or it can just sit there. It can give you power. If we really understood what this verse, this, this one verse is saying, and of course behind it is all of the rest of Scripture, because this verse is of no private interpretation. I think that's in there somewhere. All of Scripture is saying this to you. But by the glory of God, he is so articulate. He could boil it down to one verse. And I am confident, though, you know, I really love this school and I love this student body and I just think the world of you guys. I'm confident there's a need here somewhere. And I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I'm not preaching it for any particular person. I'm preaching it because God said, preach this. And God has preached this to me many times, and therefore I've been able to use it and help different ones. And it sounds like a good verse, maybe even one that we could frame and put somewhere. But that wouldn't do anything unless we understood it. So we're going we're gonna to strive to understand this, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to make it very plain to us. Let's ask him right now. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit now I pray 
that you would reveal to us the deep truth that's here. And yet it's so simple. And it's not enough to read it. It's not enough to study it, even memorize it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin. Oh God, that we could take this and hide it. That it would become us. I pray you do that this morning. Show the need, Lord, that I don't even, I'm not even aware of. And deliver by it with a washing of water by your word. Holy Spirit, do that work today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first word here is the imperative. Obey. Who's to do it? That wasn't hard. <laughs> it's not a trick question. It's you and me, right? It's the imperative. Get it done. If you're reading the verse, it's you, right? Okay, that's me. It's an imperative, it's a command, you do it. Do it now, obey. Okay, you say, well, yeah, I, okay. I know what that means, you know, go pick up your toys, go uh, get up to the table, uh, make your bed, obey. You know that's not what this word really means. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, it's not this word. Oh, yes, I mean, sure, that's in there, but if that's all you think this is, that's not it, and you won't be delivered because that's not what it's saying. Obey. Obey them. We're going to look at this more closely, but notice this. Obey them. Them. Who are them? Them that have the rule over you. Hey, look, does everybody have the rule over you? Like everybody? Um... Tristan, does Tong par Tong's parents have the rule over you? Oh, but do you have somebody that has a rule over you? How many of you have somebody that has the rule over you? Okay, this is good. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you just, uh, honestly, a minute. Two tops for you slower ones. And you're going to take your quiz, and you're not doing it for me because you're not going to turn it in. I put 10 blanks on there because two would be easy. And I want you to write ten, down 10 names of people who have the rule over you. Everybody's going to do it right now. Everybody's going to do it. 10 names of somebody that has the rule over me. Has the rule over me. Ten people. They have the rule over me, who will give an account to the Lord for you. So if I can say this is not a secular authority, don't put Donald Trump down there. And I'm not saying he doesn't have rule over you. I'm saying in this verse, this person is going to stand before the Lord for you. Ten. I do take off for spelling. You know that by now. <laughs> Come on, 10, let's go. If you didn't bring a writing instrument to chapel, shame on you. I'm kidding. 10. Is it that hard? How many have 10 already? Okay, 10%. Let's go, 90. 
10 people that are going to stand before the Lord. Are they older than you? Can they be the same age? Can they? Oh. Could they be a year younger or so? Hmm. Okay. 10. You've got 10. You've got 10. You're getting 10. You're almost there. Think, 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 think. Jonathan, you have 10? Very good. Okay. That's good. Joanna, you have 10? Okay. Mr. Kelly, 10? Okay, that's good. Mr. Ola, you have 50? <laughs> oh, you need 50. Okay. Do you have 10? Is that, is, no, is he right? Don't cheat off his paper. Okay, that famous question, does anybody need more time? Nobody's gonna raise their hand in here. <laughs> yeah, Micah. Is there a risinger in the house that could help him out? <laughs> you got 10? Hannah, you have 10? 10? 10, okay, good. How many of you had 10? You got 10, I got 10, okay. All right, keep that handy, keep it with you. Let's find out what this verse is saying about them. About them. And likely, if you would think about it, you'd, you'd come up with more. But I think this is good. I think it'll get you the idea. Obey them that have the rule over you. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to entitle this message, Deserting the Fight. Deserting. You like the sounds of that? You like the sounds of being a deserter? Desertion? It's not really a good thing, is it? Well, I think you'd say, I'm not a deserter. Sometimes we talk about graduates, this or that, or others that are, you know, we wouldn't use that word, it's pretty strong, but uh, they're not, not where they ought to be. They're not in the fight. They're not on the front line. They're off doing something different. They've deserted. You say, well, that's not going to be me. Well, we've got a command here. We've got a command. We've got a pretty important command. Let's find out. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Obey and submit. Whom? Well, you've got 10 right there. And then it's going to tell us why. Because. All right, let's deal with the obey. I'm going to have you look up some verses, I'm sure, here. But let's find out what this word obey means. The word is pytho. It's not, uh, again, it's not Ephesians 6 or Colossians 3, children obey. It's, it's pytho. It's found 55 times in the New Testament. It's a tremendous word. Once you get, once you get your mind around that word, it, it really does transform your thinking. And if your thinking is transformed, 
to actually line up with God's thinking, it's amazing what can happen. It is amazing. Obey. Uh, Peter Forsyth, an 1800 Scottish theologian, said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Thomas Akempis, 700 years ago, wrote this. Instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. You agree with that, wouldn't you? He went on to say, delayed, dis delayed obedience is disobedience. Whoever strives to withdraw from obedience withdraws from grace. You take yourself out of God's good grace, his power, his protection. Can I put it this way? You just left the front line. Can I say it this way? You're no longer in the fight. I don't care if you are out soul winning. Whatever this verse says, if you're not obeying those 10 the way that God says you should, you're not in the fight. Your gun might be loaded. You might have your, your military equipment on, but you're in the back lines. You may be able to even hear the fighting, but you're not in it. You withdrawn yourself from grace. It's this big a deal. Obey. All right. Let's take a look at this. Obey. What does it mean then? Well, let's do it this way. The word pytho, I mean, we could... You can look up the word, and I can just tell you what it means, but I like to do this. Let's find where else this verse was translated, and it'll help us get a sense, because they do well at it. Here, the word pytho is translated obey, but in the next verse, it's translated differently. So you read it, and you find it. You've got your Bible open. You're looking now at verse 18. Everybody's looking at verse 18. Everybody's a private investigator. Where's the word? Do you have it? Do you know what it is? I mean, without cheating. I've got guys in the back with their Greek stuff. That's not going to, we're, we're not going to call on them for sure. Where is it? Stephen Mawson, verse 18. He didn't think I was going to call on him. Neither did Charlie. Ah, what is it, Julian? Well, they have the English version. It probably would work in Spanish. I love it. You want to take a shot at it? Come on, you might get it right. I would like it. I think it'd be fine. 
Is he right? <laughs> Graziella, is he right? Okay. What's the English word? No. Is that a word? Willing? Charlie was like 50-50, but you put a right answer and a wrong answer and you get it right or wrong. Charlie, take another shot at it. Trust. Thank you. It is the word trust. Pytho. Listen, listen, listen. Are you listening? What does the word mean? So is this like, uh, make your bed? Okay. It's not, it's not like flat obedience. Just go do it. I don't care if you like it or not. Do it. Just get it done. Is that this kind of obey? Not if it's that word trust in the next verse. Okay, insert that English word in verse 17. You put it in there. Put it in there and read it to yourself. Now look down at your paper. And I want you to put a mark to the left of each one of those 10 that you trust. And I mean, I mean from the bottom of your heart. Don't you cheat on this. This isn't for me. You, you put a little mark there beside their name if you trust them. I didn't ask you if you obeyed them. That's not what I asked you. I asked you if you pytho them. Do I trust them? If you don't, you've left the fight. You've deserted the cause. You're disobedient. Thomas Akempis said you withdrawn from grace. It's a big deal. Okay, 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 okay. How about this one? How about this one? Trust has to be earned. That sounds good. I bet in Poor Richard's Almanac that would sell editions. I think Ben Franklin would be all about that. Sounds good. Is that what the verse says? Does the verse say that when they earn it, you should trust them? Are you sure? I, I just, I think that one is such an unbelievable joke. Can you imagine standing at the altar where I, I'm, I'm believing that most of you will be someday. I mean, you'll be there with that precious other one. And they may not be precious to you now, but they will be someday. You know, trust me, okay, it'll be all right. And there you are, standing there on that special day with, I don't know, several hundred or a couple thousand people there watching you. Don't get nervous, it'll be fine. And, uh, and there you are, you know, and you're to obey. Is that right, ladies? Are you going to pull that one out then? I will when he earns it. Or are you going to pledge to do it then, covenant, with your heart, that you'll do it now? If you've got that idea that my authority has to earn my trust, I want to know a verse. Find me a verse. You say they're not trustworthy. I'm not talking about them. This verse is not for them. It's for you. 
Is that true? Are there verses for them? Why don't you let them find their verses? And you work on your verses. Doesn't that work? That works far better. And I've already talked about that with regard to fathers, for example. But it happens all the time with some of those, maybe some of those that are on your list. And you say, well, they sin. Huh. I should have said, get me a list of 10 that will stand before God for you that haven't sinned. Could you do that? You know, it's interesting. It's possible also that on somebody's list out here, your name is there. That's very possible. How many of you on your list, you have the name of somebody that's in this room? How many of you? Look at that. Almost everybody. You know what? Sometimes your tendency is to say, uh, they're, they're, not, they're not worth my obedience, my trust. Okay, here's the question. Here it is. Is God worth your trust? Yes or no? You believe that. I know you do. I know you do. But the test of it, whether you really, that is in your soul, the test of it, is in real life. Do you really believe God when that person says this and you need to obey in this way and you need to trust in that way? It's not whether you're trusting them, it's whether you're trusting the God that told you to trust them. You weren't given an option. He didn't say trust certain ones, trust the better ones, trust the older ones, trust the wiser ones, trust the impeccable ones. He said, trust them. Ten of them there on your paper. Don't answer this. Don't answer. Did you check them all? Don't answer that. Obey, trust. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to have to move fairly quickly here. I want to get through these. Philippians, everybody's there. Probably could have had just somebody quote it, but anyway. Philippians chapter 1, and just read verse 6. Just read verse 6 to yourself there, read it, read it, read it. And of course, uh, you may be sitting there with a different version on your lap, Chinese maybe. And I may still call on you. It could happen. You've got the word already. You know what it is. Because it's in there. Pytho is there. And then we're going to find out another facet of this gem to know whether you're obedient in this area with those ten people. And the word is... Confidence. Being confident of this very thing. Paul says, 
that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Confident. Are you confident of those ten? Is your confidence in them? Your confidence. It kind of goes along with trust, but I like it. Confidence. Go down the line there. Check them off. Am I obeying in my confidence? Am I confident in this one? Have I given my confidence to that one? Am I confident? Go down the list. All ten of them. Put another mark. Really quick. And then go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy. And look at verse 12 and read verse 12, 2 Timothy 1.12. You're probably getting good at this. Second Timothy 1.12 and find Pytho. You can use that piece of paper for notes. You can write at the bottom of it uh, those words that we've seen now, obey, trust, confidence. And 2 Timothy 1.12, we have another word here. We have pytho. Pytho's translated what this way? Do you have it? Everybody together. Persuaded. Persuaded. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him that day. Are you persuaded of those? Are you persuaded that they're the right people for you? That they should be on your list? Are you persuaded of the decisions that they make on your behalf? Are you persuaded of them and their authority over you? Are you persuaded? Go down the list. Check them off. If you are persuaded of those 10 individuals, I am persuaded. Don't cheat. It's for your benefit. Are you persuaded? That piano teacher, that professor, that parent, are you persuaded of them? If you are not, you are obedient or disobedient? Disobedient. Listen to me. Even if you do everything they tell you to do, yes or no? You're disobedient. Why? Because I don't trust them. I, I, I'm not confident in them. I'm not persuaded of them. I wish I was in that class at this school, had those parents. I was in that room. You're deserting the fight. Your gun might be loaded. You might have a 4.0, but you're not on the front lines. You've departed from grace. It's a big deal. I hope you get this. 
several years ago, I was counseling a, a young father, husband, who was giving his pastor a hard time. Now to his face, he was respectful and seemed good. But like everybody knew, I knew. He wanted to tell me some things about his pastor that he didn't think I knew. He thought that'd be helpful. Maybe some things that would help me understand why he was the way he was. He said, let's go to breakfast. So we went. I said, you know, before you get started, let me show you something. I opened my Bible to Hebrews 13, 17. I had him read it. Explain just briefly what it meant. He stared at it. He stared at it. Then he looked at me and he said, that's pretty hard to argue with. Then you know what he did? Nothing. What changed? Nothing. Nothing changed. Within a short time, he took his family and went to a different church. Nothing changed. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. We can have a nice chapel hour. You could say, oh, that's a neat little study. That was a real help. And nothing changes. Or you can say, I've been disobedient. Now, maybe you haven't. I'm not saying everybody has. But this, got to, this has to be more than a neat little Bible study. You've got to get back in the fight. Let's go to another verse. Acts chapter 28. This will be our last one. Acts 28. And look at verse 23 and uh, 24. And so you just uh, sit there and get ready to be called on to stand and give your dissertation. Uh, 20, read those two verses. Acts chapter 28, verses 23 and 24. The word is actually used in verse 23 once and twice in 24. Three times. One of them we've already gotten in a different text. One of them is new, new to us. All right, how about uh, verse 23? Who can get it for me here? Verse 23, Landon. Yeah, persuading. Persuading them concerning Jesus. Okay, verse 24, Josiah believed. And this is kind of the point. And some believe the things which were spoken, and some believe not. Believed. You know, now it kind, of, it, it kind of turns. Do you believe in that person? Look at your list of 10. Do you believe in them? You say, well, I don't believe in me. I'm not asking you that. Okay, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. This is a good question. Are these 10 people, are they in Hebrews 13, 17? Are they in the verse? Yes. What are they doing in the verse? 
They're doing a couple things. One is, presently, they are watching. Do you know the word literally means sleepless? It, it means like they're losing sleep. Not in a bad way, in a good way, we trust. There is a grief here, but that's not it. It's that these are watchful, sleepless on your behalf. For your soul, for your future, for your success, they're investing their time, their waking hours, and they're investing some of their sleeping hours in your soul, these 10. That's what it means. For they, this is why you're supposed to do it, because they are sleepless for you. They watch for your souls. You know, if that were really the case, and it apparently is because it's inspired. Okay, then if that were really the case, if I were you, man, I'd enable them to do that. I'd help them out, wouldn't you? Like, you don't want them to be blind, do you? Take away their sight. Give them some grief. Give them a hard time. Make it real hard to watch for you. That'd be smart. I'm being facetious. You ever done that? Are you doing it now? Look at your list. Look at them again. Look at the list. Ask yourself, how many of them do I, do I believe in? You say, well, they're not very believable. The command is for you. You're cutting off your own legs. The verse says that. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. And sometimes we think, oh, I get my hard time. There you go. They got what they deserve. For that is unprofitable for whom? You're cutting off your own legs. It's what the verse means. If I were you, I'd give them a great day. I'd help them out. I'd tell them what ails you. I'd get honest with them. How many of you go to the doctor and you got something that just really pains you? I, I got to go to the doctor. You go to the doctor and the doctor starts asking you questions. And you don't tell him anything. Well, I'm not going to tell you anything. You figure it out. Okay, well, does it hurt when I poke hair? Does it hurt? And what, on Tuesdays, this has happened. How about on Wednesdays? You know, what's it feel like when you get up? I'm not telling you. You figure it out. You got the degree. I'm paying you. That'd be real bright. You know? My wife's there giving, tell them about it. Go ahead, tell them. I don't want to tell them. Tell them. Why? I want them to help me. Some of you, it's like you don't want to help. You don't want to help. They are the ones that God gave you. I want you to do this. I want you to circle, circle the number of those that you picked. You picked. Yeah, go down the line. You picked them. You picked them to be my authority. If you didn't pick them, did you pick your mom? Did you pick your dad? Okay, don't circle it. You know what I mean. Go down the line. How many of them did you pick?
I picked that one. I, I did. I don't know. There might be some. You picked them. It'd be okay if you picked them. Now they're your authority. How many of you, you picked uh, at least two? Three? Keep your hands up. Three. Four? Five? You're finding that most of these you didn't pick. Who picked them? Okay, let me ask you this. Did he make a mistake? Did he blow it? You know, some of you, that's the way that it, you act, though, at certain times. You, told, you believe more that somebody blew it, but you'd never say that, but that's how you behave. If somebody blew it for me. It shouldn't be that one. It should be this one. I got the wrong one, whatever the circumstance. So you're not persuaded of them. You don't believe in them. You don't agree with them. The word has a sense of agreement. Agreement. When they make a decision, you go, man, that was good. That was, that, wow, that's unbelievable. I'm going to go do that right now. Why didn't I do that yesterday? That's tremendous. Agree, patho, obey. It has a sense of being a friend of. I wonder how many on that list you would consider a friend. Not a peer friendship, not a high-five, buddy-buddy, whatever. But I'm for that person. I care about that person. I pray for that person. I want them to succeed. I wonder how many. In 1948, a man was doing some research for an article. The name of the article was, Are Americans Afraid to Fight? It's 1948. It's three years after. It's, it is. It is three years after something. It's three years after World War II. And he came across the story of a man named Eddie Slavik. Eddie Slavik was born in Detroit, Michigan. Eddie Slavik grew up in the 1930s in Detroit. He was a tough kid. By 12 years old, he was already in trouble. Just a mischievous little kid. It started out, you know, just petty theft, small stuff, food items, whatever. 15, he dropped out of high school. Between 15 and 21, he was in trouble with the law now. It was sort of more serious. Burglary, assault, finally, grand theft auto. There was a good side to it, though. War broke out in 1939, 1940, 41. America was in. And because Eddie had a record, because Eddie was on parole from prison, he didn't have to join the draft. He had no intentions of going overseas. Eddie was about Eddie. He wasn't going to put himself in harm's way. He didn't want in the fight. By 1943, the draft restrictions eased. And it didn't matter anymore if you had a record or you were on parole. Eddie was drafted. He got married just before he went off to boot camp. And he wrote his wife from Texas. And he said, this is just like being in jail. Only in jail it isn't this bad. 
He's being trained to go to the fight. He doesn't want to go. He wasn't the only one, but we're talking about Eddie. He wrote to her again. He said, I'm not trying to learn anything here, because if you're too smart or too good, they'll send you overseas. He wrote that. Well, somebody must have thought Eddie got good at something because he went overseas. 28th Division, he's an infantry man. He didn't like guns. He didn't want to shoot his. It was a group of 14 of him, him and 13 other guys, and they're sent to actually reinforce. He, he arrived just about six weeks after D-Day. And his 14 men were to catch up to the, this American division that was pushing the Germans across France toward Germany. And they were, we were pushing them so fast that some of the reinforcements were having a hard time keeping up to find their company to begin fighting these new, new troops. Well, that was fine for Eddie. He wasn't in any big hurry to get to the front. Finally, though, uh, just short of Paris, they do find the 28th Division, pinned down. Actually, when he got there, uh, the 14 of them came under fire. They've got their division right in front of them that are right on the front line now. And for the first time, Eddie Slavic experienced at least being near the front line. His division was under shell fire, artillery fire. He'd never seen or heard or felt anything like it scared him to death. He was trained for it, but he didn't want to be there. He did not want to obey orders. The 14 found foxholes, because that's what you did. They waited out 30, 30 more minutes of shell fire, and then uh, the men got up to go join their company, obey orders, except for Eddie. Eddie and a buddy just stayed in the foxhole. The Americans didn't know it. They moved on, and, and there's Eddie, comfortable, not at the front, not obeying orders. Pretty soon, another group of soldiers come along. Their purpose now was to retrieve German prisoners that are being received from the front lines as the Americans and others were winning. And it just happened to be a, another group of men, MPs, that were gathering German prisoners. And this was good for Eddie. He was fine with driving trucks, cooking, and guarding German prisoners. Do you know why? Because they're unarmed. He could boss them around. Sit down. Don't look at me like that. They didn't have any guns. This was easy. I can do this. Yeah, this is good. Cook? I like it. Trucks? Oh, yeah. Fight? No way. He did six weeks of this, disobeying orders. Finally, his 28th Division figured it out, and they came and got him, brought him up to the front lines. He stood in front of his captain and says, am I going to be court-martialed? I haven't been here for six weeks. His captain says, oh, no. No, this happens, you know, guys get scattered, whatever, we understand. Grab your gun, get to the front line. Eddie says, I can't do that. He says to his captain, he says, what would happen if I uh, walked away from this? What would happen if I, just, if I just left? Would I be court-martialed? And the captain said, yeah, of course. Of course you would. 
So what did Eddie do? He walked away from it. He started heading the other direction. The fight is that way. Eddie's got a rifle. He's got ammunition. He's got everything he needs to get into the fight. He's got the training, and he's headed that way. Eddie comes to a cook in another platoon, not even his own division. The first guy he comes across, the guy's a private, he's a cook. Private Slovak, writes out a piece of paper, his own confession, I'm a deserter, signs it, hands it to him. That didn't happen every day. The cook goes, what am I supposed to do with this? He hands it to his commander. Eddie's arrested. Eddie got what he wanted, a court-martial. I can go to prison. I've been there before. I won't be in the fight. It'll be safe. They'll have to feed me. It'll be fine. The fighting will be over in a year. They'll let me go. This is good. That's Eddie's plan. Things don't always go according to plan. 2,846 Americans were court-martialed for desertion in World War II. He's one of 2,846. He stands before the court-martial, officers of his own division. They hear the story. They see the confession. Three times they voted. Three times it was unanimous. Eddie Slavic will be executed by firing squad. There are several layers that have appeals that have to take place. Eddie's confident that it won't happen. No American soldier has ever been, has ever been shot for desertion since the Civil War, 1865. That's 80 years. It won't happen. Finally, his case becomes before the Allied commander in Europe, Dwight David Eisenhower. And while General Eisenhower is considering what will happen to Private Slavic, the Germans counterattacked. The Battle of the Bulge was on. The 28th Division was in the middle of it. Eddie Slavic's division and he wasn't there. How do you think that made his case look? Eddie Slavic knew he was in trouble. He was in over his head now. The Allied commander of all the forces in Europe was considering his case. This was serious. He didn't think it would get this far. He wrote to General Eisenhower. He begged for his life. December 9th, 1944, he wrote this. For the sake of my dear wife and mother back home, for the sins I've committed, he said, I remain yours for victory. Signed, Private Eddie D. Slavic.
Eisenhower and other generals that were making this final appeal decision, said, how could we ever go to the front lines and look the men of the 28th Division in the face and not hand down the sentence? Guilty. Death by firing squad. Eddie Slavik was set before a firing squad of 12 men. And he became the only American soldier in World War II to be executed for desertion. The only. What made his case so grievous? If 2,864 others were court-martialed for desertion, and 49 of those had been given the death penalty execution, why did Eddie's, why was his the only one that ended in death? His letter signed by himself, willful disobedience. What you're looking at right now, Dwight David Eisenhower had the original in his hand. Can I say this? There are young people, saved young people, fine young people all over the planet that struggle with Hebrews 13, 17. They're disobedient. They're on every continent. They disobey their parents. They sass. They complain. It's human nature. It's happening everywhere. What makes your case so grievous? I would say there's almost nobody on the planet that has more light than you do. Than some boy in a hut out in Africa, somebody in South America in the mountains, somebody living in a city in Greenland, who, who has more light than you, who has less excuse to pytho, those 10, to believe in them, to be persuaded of your God that gave you those 10. Eddie signed his own confession. Eddie's responsible. Eddie died and would be buried in an unmarked grave in France among heroes. No pension for his wife. No honor, no glory. It was over. He had left the fight. Willfully. Knowing what you know now about what God expects of you with all of those who rule over you, who will stand before God and give an account, what will you do? Let's bow for prayer.